seated. If you like, you can follow along with the notes which are in your bulletin. And uh, yet, I'm not going to actually exactly follow them, so uh, it'll it'll be close. What's on the screen will be a little closer. So, blessed are the meek. Can you say that? Blessed are the meek. Go ahead. For what? They shall inherit the earth. Go ahead. They shall inherit the earth. Now, what the heck does that mean? How many of you want the earth? Anybody want the earth the way it is today? Eh, eh, parts of it, portions, slices, some good stuff. To be sure, there's some good stuff. But uh, maybe not in all of its sinful condition uh, exactly as it is. So what does this mean? Exactly, blessed are the meek. Well, let me give you a little, little illustration. How many of you have ever been to a professional sports encounter? Uh, it doesn't have to be professional. Any kind of, of sports event, uh, game outdoors of some kind. And it has to be stopped because an animal breaks loose and gets onto the field. Have you ever seen that? Maybe it's a cat. They're chasing the cat around, a squirrel. Uh, you might remember some of us, uh, of us older people. Randy Johnson, do you remember him? The big lefty, right, for the Arizona Diamondbacks. you remember that? The seagulls were on the field. Now he throws about 97, 98, 99 miles an hour. So he unleashes a pitch, and this bird just kind of got in the way. Bang, just got him, and you know, feathers everywhere. Poor thing, dead. They had to stop the the game to cart the bird off. So that happens. Well, there was one time, Kansas City Royals, my home team, a dog, the dog is on the field, don't know what to do. It's running around everywhere. And everyone's yelling at it, you stupid dog, get out of here, go over here. Umpires, of course, could not catch it. Players tried, they couldn't catch it either. Finally, the dog got so confused by all the different voices, it just sat on third base. That was it. Had to stop the game, get the dog, take it away. Now, later on, a sports writer said the problem was the dog did not have a dominant voice to listen to. It was so confused because it had all these voices telling it what to do. So that's a question for this morning, if you'll put that up there. Whose voice are you listening to? Huh? Whose voice? Whose voice are you listening to? And I, I ask with the assumption that all of you are Christians and that you love the Lord. So if you aren't a Christian and you don't love the Lord, sorry about that, but it's still the same question. Whose voice are you listening to? Now, the world would tell you all kinds of different things. For example, Ted Turner, he's in his 80s now. Founded CNN, media mogul, at one time the largest private land owner in the country, famous for introducing bison burgers, by the way. Ted Turner was a famous atheist, not a believer. He said Christianity is for losers. It's for the weak-minded. It's for those who can't get along by themselves. Really just kind of parroting what Karl Marx had said really a century before that. He said religion, meaning Christianity in particular in Russia, religion is the opiate of the masses. So you've got to be drugged so that you can put up with all the pain in this world. And he says that is what religion and that is what Christ does for us. 
I would suggest that it really hasn't changed all that much in the last couple of centuries. Most unbelievers, those who have a strong opinion, still would say that Christianity is a crutch. For example, a week ago I was in Memphis. I was attending a, a discipleship conference at my, my brother's church, and they had a speaker there who's a Lutheran pastor from Hot Springs, Arkansas. And most weekends, not on Sundays, but Friday and Saturday, you'll find him at the local coffee shop, Starbucks, whatever it might be. And he always brings his Bible. Now, of course, he's going to read it. That's what Bibles are for. You read them. But also as a conversation piece, because inevitably, if you go to a Starbucks or go to any of the coffee shops in town and you have your Bible there, and you're there every Friday, you become a regular, there are people who are going to ask you what the heck you're doing, right? What's that all about? And inevitably, the conversation will turn to faith. What do you believe? Are you a Christian? Do you believe in God? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that there is a, a heaven? Well, there was this one guy. He was actually out in California at a conference as well, but doing the same routine as his Bible out. And this young, well-dressed, professional-looking man begins a conversation and says, I don't believe in any of that stuff. He was a doctor. He was very successful. He said, there is nothing after this life. This is all you get, so you might as well make the very best of it. You Christians, it's just a crutch because you're weak-minded. You can't do it on your own. Speaking of doctors, one of my favorite binge-watching episodes these days on Hulu. Anybody uh, watch ER anymore? You've got to be really old like me to be watching ER, right? Early 2000s. You're, did anybody watch ER? Do you know these guys? Dr. Green, right? Dr. Carter, Nurse Hathaway, George Clooney. I can't remember what his character is, but he's George Clooney. Come on, right? Well, there is one episode not too long ago, at least in my watching, Dr. Kovac from Croatia. You remember the backstory? His wife and children were killed in the war with the Serbians. He had been a fairly religious person, although he says in one episode it was mostly for his wife. <laughs> Did he go to church with her? Well, there was a Catholic priest who came into the ER, and he questioned this Dr. Kovac's faith. And this was his reply. Give me a break. Christianity is for women. Whose voice are you listening to? That of the world that you have to rely only on yourself to get ahead, that the whole goal of life is to get further ahead than everyone else, to climb the ladder, to be success, to be successful, to accumulate stuff, or even your own voice, which often says the same thing. The strong are those who trample over the weak. Even the Beatitudes. I mean, we're in our third week now. What are the characteristics of disciples? Poor in spirit, which is really, I think, even lower, more humble than poor in stuff. 
those who mourn, those who are grieving, and today, the meek. Now, what does the world say about the meek? They're spineless characters, that you have no backbone, that you don't stand up, that you're the doormat, that everyone walks over you. Even the Bible seems to suggest that faith is for the weak. Look at our epistle for today. Paul, writing to the people in Corinth, says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Is that what it's all about? Well, this morning I would like to suggest to you that our definition of meek is incorrect, or at least the world's definition of meek. Though it rhymes with weak, it doesn't mean the same thing. In fact, some of the strongest people that I have ever known were the ones who listened to God, who were Christians, people of faith. Who is it most of the time in the, in the face of a catastrophe are first on the scene? Often the believers, the Christians. We have Lutheran church charities, which that's their entire mission. Whether it's a, a flood, a storm, trees are down, people are hurting, there is a shooting. And they are the first ones there to bring comfort. I think we should look at this a little bit differently. You see, Christ was not calling people to be spineless wonders, but he was calling for a strength that exceeds the world's strength, that comes from a different source, not from us as human beings, but rather from God himself. And with God's strength, which is far greater than the world's strength, certainly more than my strength, we can do exceedingly great things. But it means that we give up. We are humble. We are indeed poor in spirit, emptying our ambition. For that of God. So I want to give you several examples. Some of these you've heard of. Let's just begin. Gladys Aylward. Anybody ever hear of Gladys? Good. Because if you did, it wouldn't be as impactful. Gladys Aylward, she was about four foot seven, about a hundred pounds. She grew up in London, England. Went to something called Young Life, still around today. Learned about Jesus. Felt the calling to be a missionary. And so, she left everything behind and she went to China. Had to learn the language, of course. Most people say it's very difficult to learn Mandarin, but yet she did. She got to know the people. She spent her whole life there. She had compassion on those who were sick. Even befriended people in the local prison. Think about that. How many of you would love to go to our local prison every day just to get to know the inmates? Better yet, how about going to Joliet? Spend your time there. She did Bible study. She ministered to their wounds because there are always wounds, physical and mental and emotional. They were always beating on each other, and yet they trusted her. As the story goes, there was a riot that occurred in the prison. And the warden, he goes to Gladys, this four foot seven, 
110-pound little lady. And he says, you're the only one that they'll ever listen to. He says, let me get this straight. You want me to go into there where there are murderous men with all kinds of weapons, and you want me, a little tiny woman, with no weapons, to tell them to stop what they're doing? He says, yes, that's right. He said, because you have the Spirit of God in you, and they'll listen. And so she goes in, and there is this courtyard, and it is literally carpeted with the carcasses of dead people. And she sees this one man, he's chasing another with a machete, which is a very large sword, with murderous intent. And so she just goes up to him and she says, stop. He says, I command you to stop. And lo and behold, he did. And the riot stopped. And then she instituted reforms in that prison. She continued her Bible study and her Bible teaching. And many of those men became followers of Jesus, Gladys Aylward. How about Mother Teresa? We know her, right? About the same stature in India. A meek, mild individual, and yet so courageous that she would go among the lepers, risking infection, certain death, and yet she spent her whole life meekly, humbly, in compassion, with the Lord's strength, ministering to them. How about these other guys uh, in the Bible? You know them, right? Moses? Moses couldn't talk. He stuttered. And yet God used him in his humility when he submitted to the will of God to lead the people from slavery to the promised land. Now, what did he give up? He gave up a royal throne. Remember, he was a prince in Egypt, adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter. Gave it all up, became a sheep herder, and then returned to save God's people. Abraham, you remember him? Man of great faith, of course. And yet also, probably the greatest gentleman of the Old Testament. Remember the story where Lot, his nephew, came to him? And he said, hey, Unc, give me the best land. I've got so many sheep and goats, I don't know what to do with them all. Now, Abraham was much older, much wiser, much wealthier. He needed the better land to feed all of his livestock, and yet in humility, in meekness. He said, sure, without a complaint, you take the best land, and I'll take the other, and yet God blessed him, to at that time become the wealthiest man in the world. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But yet so much more than that, because it isn't the material that will last. And so we have Paul. You remember Paul? He had persecuted God's people, even had Stephen stoned to death. And yet, yet after his conversion, the tables just turn, and now all of those to whom he preaches the gospel are skeptical. Are you really the same guy? I mean, you could turn around and kill us as well. Why should we listen to you? 
And yet he writes to the Corinthians the same words that we saw earlier. Preaches to them about love and compassion. Is Paul weak? This man who gives up his own life finally becomes a martyr for the Lord and, of course, Jesus himself. Has anyone ever given up more than our Lord? Not just the material, but he was king in heaven. He is the Lord of the universe. He's the creator of all things. He gives all of that up, his privilege of being God, to humble himself, become a human being, born in a filthy stable, growing up as a carpenter, working with his hands, getting them dirty, and then finally suffering all, being beaten, insulted, spit on, and crucified so that you and I, who so often are listening to the voice of the world, or that own voice in our head that says we, we need to get ahead, we need to do more. It's all about me. That Jesus, in his meekness, gave up everything so that you and I could have it all. For we inherit the kingdom of heaven. So much more than anything on this earth. Forgiveness. A relationship with God. Eternal life. And the joy of serving our Master. All right, one last example. Now, we've heard of all these guys, Moses, Abraham, Paul, Jesus. We could list a whole litany. How about Dennis Rogers? Ever heard of him? Dennis Rogers, 67 years old, still considered to be one of the strongest men in the entire world. He weighs about 161 pounds. At least that's what the website says. Grew up in a marine family. His dad went all over the world, so he was stationed in many places. So it's really difficult to make friends when you're only there for just a short period of time, but also when you are at the age of 13, 4 foot 11 and 79 pounds. Think of that. He's the weakling. He's the guy always getting the sand kicked in his face. So he decides to make friends and not to get picked, up, picked on all the time, that he will begin lifting weights. So he does. So in two years at the age of 15, he can now lift over his head 145 pounds, which is more than what he weighs, which is pretty good, but it's even more impressive because he does it with one hand. By the time he's a junior, he enters an arm wrestling contest at school and beats everyone. He's so strong that he then enters a state competition, wins that, wins 10 more, wins two national championships. And then by the time he is 21, he is considered the strongest man in the world because he has won the open division of arm wrestling, which is any weight at all. Now, that's pretty impressive, right? Pretty strong guy. Well, it gets better. They chain him, holding on to chains, 
And there is a Navy fighter jet on the other end and a similar one on this end. And then they take off. Get the picture? Kind of worse than that bird that Randy Johnson hit, right? Except he prevents them from taking off. He does the same with two Harley Davidsons. He can take a one-half-inch steel rod, 18 inches long, and bend it into a U. He can take a crescent wrench and bend that into a pretzel. He can take his bare fist and drive nails into a two-before. Pound for pound, still today, considered the strongest man in the world. And yet, in spite of all of these accomplishments, do you know what he considers to be the best? He said when he realized that Jesus Christ is the Lord of his life and the one upon whom he is dependent forever. Who's the dominant voice in your life? Is it the world? Do you listen to the Ted Turner? Christianity is for losers. Your own voice that says you've got to constantly get ahead. To be strong, you have to trample the weak. Or is it the voice of God? Take a look there at that last definition. This is what I think it's really saying to us. Blessed are those who hear the voice of God and rely on his strength and not their own. For they will receive the important thing like forgiveness and hope and joy and peace and the eternal life that we could never, ever hope to achieve. All these things that cannot be bought by us, but were already paid for by the sacrifice that our King and Lord made on the cross. Blessed are the meat, for they will inherit so much more than what our world believes to be important. Blessed are you as you hear and obey the voice of God. Amen. Let's all rise.